Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Apple Store Upper West Side. How are you feeling tonight? Okay. Well, with that, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage this evening's guest moderator, journalist Anthony DeCurtis, and tonight's guest, Sting. Thank you all for coming out, and thank you for that wonderful uh, welcome for Sting. What are you doing here? <laughs> I was looking for a... I just came well, shopping. Well, Sting, you've just yes, released sir. a box set documenting your 25-year solo career. You know, could you talk about putting that together? You know, you've talked about songwriting as a kind of storytelling. You know, is there a particular story that the box set tells? Well, I, I suppose if you look at my work over 25 years, and I don't often do that. I'm not a very um, retrospective or reflective person in that regard. I was forced, by, because it was 25 years, to look at it as a sizable chunk of time that we wanted to, to commemorate. And so um, I had to look back on my work and listen to albums that I hadn't heard since I made them. And I was actually quite um, pleased by what I heard. I, I heard myself making decisions as a younger musician that, that surprised me. And so it wasn't a painful uh, experience. And then when we had to get all of the material for, for the, for the uh, iPad, for the appumentary, that too surprised me. It wasn't too embarrassing. You know, did you start out with any specific goals? Like, how did you listen? You know, did you feel like you had a story in mind that you wanted to tell when you started, or did it kind of take shape as you began to make your selections? You know, I, I think the songs all tell a story and, and the songs probably string together as a, as a kind of long-form story. But I don't begin that way. I think I, I write music from the unconscious. It just comes up. And I, it's only later when I, when I realize there's a connection between songs or between albums that I realize I'm writing about a particular theme, but I'm doing that because of my unconscious. It's not, I don't start out with a plan or an agenda. I say, this, this album will be about this. That's not the way I work. I'm always surprised by what happens there. You know, uh, along those lines, you know, you've described songwriting as a kind of therapy, and I was wondering if you could say a little bit about that. Like, how does that work? Um, I've never been to a therapist. It's cheaper to write songs, I yeah, think. I'm sure it's expensive. So, so what, I, what I do is I put myself on the couch and um, I, I ask myself questions. Why am I thinking that particular thought? What, who is this character I'm writing about? Which, what part of my subconscious is he? What does he mean to me? So I put myself through therapy. And a lot of, a lot of um, challenges in my, in my personal life have been dealt with through the medium of songs. The beginning of your solo career, you know, you left one of the most successful bands in the world in order to start a solo career. And I wonder if, you know, at that moment, did that seem like an inevitable decision for you or something that you felt was part of the circumstances of where you were at that time? It, it didn't seem logical for me to, to, um, to leave the biggest band in the world because obviously if you keep pressing that button, you, you get more and more success. And yet, I, I tend to make my decisions illogically. Uh, I, I rely on my intuition or my courage or my curiosity about what will happen. That leads me more than a formula. 
and I wanted to leave a formula. And people would say, you're crazy for doing this. This is obviously a crazy decision. But and yet my intuition told me that that's what I need to do for my own sanity, my soul. Was it frightening? No. No, I wasn't frightened by it. I mean, you know, I was only was playing there a music. Sense of, I mean, the sense of people's expectations or any of those external things? I'd be frightened about jumping out of an aeroplane. I wouldn't be frightened <laughs> about, you know, uh, making music in a about different way. I'm just having fun making music. Now, your songs have evolved uh, a lot over time. You know, you've played them in different ways over the years. Obviously, as your life has changed, I'm sure your relationship to them has changed. You know, uh, was that an element... Uh, that you experienced as you began to make selections for this set? I liked, I'd like to say that my music has to reflect um, someone who is serious about getting better as a songwriter, as an arranger, as a performer, as a band leader, as a person. I mean, whether that's true or not, that's moot. You know, other people will have to decide that. But that is the intention. And then I'm always led by my curiosity not by market forces or not by what I'm told is hip or the right thing to do. I'm led by what makes me curious about music or art. And that has stood me in good stead. I mean, the decisions I've made have largely coincided with popular taste. And that makes me happy. You know, one of the... One of the... Uh... One of the elements of the box set and, and certainly of your solo career is a series of, of kind of musical shifts, uh, putting your music in different contexts, playing them in, in various ways, I mean, everything from an orchestra to, you know, very stripped-down bands. You know, I wonder if you could talk about uh, kind of the, the reason for those shifts, you know, what drives that? Um, I, I'm afraid of one thing, boredom. I'm terrified of being bored, so I'm constantly looking for new ways of presenting the music or, or in, investing music with my curiosity. You know, I don't want to sit there and, and, and sing the song in the same way it's always been sung. I'm always looking for little incremental changes in the, the melody, in the harmony, in the orchestration, so that it can, it can interest me. I need to be entertained when I'm entertaining. And if I had to do the same thing every night, exactly the same as if it was carved in granite, I would not do this job. How is um, how is the process of songwriting altered for you over time? Was it uh, is it easier or harder with more experience? Uh, it actually gets more difficult as you get older because um, what happens as you get older and more experienced is that your inner critic becomes much more um, coherent. Are you saying there's nothing the matter with critics? Is that there's nothing uh, the matter with critics? No, they're uh, important. Even your own inner critic is important. <laughs> And yet the critic can um, strangle the creative child inside you, which was the first, when you first started to make music, it's that childlike sense of play and wonder about music and song and rhyme that you have to cherish. Your inner critic will strangle that child. And so you have to say, well, thank you very much. What you say is important. Now leave the room. I want to be creative. How do you, I mean, but how, do you, how does that process work? I mean, how do you elude the critic? I mean, once that voice is in your head, you know, how do you stop it? I mean, are there, are there techniques that you try? Or? Well, it's difficult to stop because, you know, because, because he, he's grounded in your experience and yet you have to stop him. Uh, are there any tricks? I think being aware that this is happening, that there's a process going on, this kind of duality in your thinking, to be aware of it is the first step. But uh, I, don't, I don't always figure it out. Now, you're out on tour now, uh, the Back to Bass tour. You know, you've put together a band 
uh, you're doing, you know, it's pretty stripped down format. You know, what made you choose to, uh, you know, take that, take that type of group out this time? You know, I, I think the essence of music is really surprise. I think um, every eight bars, you need a surprise for the listener to stay awake. You have to surprise them in the, what you attempt and what you do next. So for the last year and a half, I'd been working with a symphony orchestra. I did 150 shows with the Royal Philharmonic, very grand. It's about 50, 60 people on stage every night. I thought, well, what, what do I do next? I don't want to do that again, at least not straight away. So I, I went back to a, a very small group, the six of us, I'm playing bass. We stripped the thing down, and yeah, that surprised people by how, how good it is. Next, I don't know. If that's your next question. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Let me look at my sheet. Preemptive. No. Uh, well, what are the risks of that? I mean, uh, you know, obviously playing in, you know, with an orchestra has certain kinds of risks. What are the risks of the, the smaller group format? You like this thing, risk, don't you? I do, yeah. I don't think anything in, in human endeavor is, is devoid of risk. Every, everything has risk. And often things with the greatest risk have the greatest reward. But it's only a creative risk. I'm not, I'm not risking my life when I play music. I don't think I am anyway. Now, how has the idea of, of performance itself kind of changed for you? I mean, obviously, uh, you know, there's something that drives somebody to get up on a stage. You know, has that been the same for you over the years? Or is it different now from when you first started out? I think I must have been ignored a lot as a child because um, I actually really enjoy being on stage. And yet, I'm not a particularly um, extrovert person. I'm quite a shy person, really. But I enjoy being the center of attention. I mean, is there a kind of transformation that takes place when you step on the stage? Is, is that the same person that you always are? Or is that a version of you? How does that work? It's obviously a version of me, and it's something I've, I've trained most of my life to do. And I feel very comfortable once I'm up there. But you know, the, the 20 minutes before I walk on stage, I'm usually fairly anxious. I'm usually preparing myself for an ordeal because it's not, it's not a particularly natural thing to do. It's an odd thing to do. What role, I mean, what is the relationship to the audience in that regard? I mean, is it, you know, from night to night, does it make a difference? It depends on their mood. Obviously, you know, I have to, if they're not in a good mood, I have to change that. Or if, if they're in a really good mood, I have to, you know, encourage that. So <laughs> it's, it's the performance will change every night depending on the feedback you're getting. And uh, the things you say, the way you sing, the way you present yourself will really you know, be affected by what kind of mood they're in. What you kind know, of mood are you in, by the way? Lively mood. You know, when you think about, um, you know, the sort of arc of, of your solo career, were there particular, I mean, there must be particular moments that seem like high points to you. You know, there, uh, I wonder if you could share a couple of those, ones that, you know, really kind of made a difference or seemed important. It's funny, you know, I've, I've played many um, sports stadiums and arenas all around the world, sometimes to half a million people, sometimes to 100,000 people, 20,000 people. You kind of forget that. They, they become just a blur. What I remember is playing to 20 people at CBGB's in October 1978. And there's something... No, I'm not saying that to get applause. It's the truth. You know, you, you remember... All those people were there, by the way. All 20 of them are here tonight. No, yes. you weren't. 
or we played in a town called Poughkeepsie, the, the, the last chance saloon. We know it, yes. There were three people there. Any Vassar people here? Yes. You were yeah. there. Vassar in the house. <laughs> the, um, I mean, as you, again, you just kind of reflect back on that, you know, uh, what about from the standpoint of, of, of the writing? You know, I mean, I guess asking about favorite songs is sort of like asking about favorite children, but are there ones that, that you feel like you really kind of hit it? I don't want to say that. Yeah, I wouldn't say who was my favorite child. I think they're all wonderfully unique in a special way. Um, the songs are all just one song, in a way. Um, it's the, the, the songs of my life. It's the story of my life. To separate them off is not something I want to do. Some have been more successful than others. You know, some, some songs are huge hits and everyone knows them and everyone wants to hear them. And I, I never want to disappoint an audience and say, well, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm only playing you new material. But I treat each song with respect. And um, sometimes I go back into the well and pick one out and say, well, I haven't done you for a while. So let's, let's see what's there. And I'm usually fairly pleased by what I hear. It seems that uh, both on the box set and you know in uh, some of the shows you're doing, you know, you're kind of looking around at some of the things that aren't necessarily you know the greatest hits. You know, do you have a different relationship from those songs than the ones that you know kind of everybody knows and and they're so huge? Well, I'm sure it's just an accident that some songs were huge hits and some weren't. I mean, I can't really judge the comparative value of songs. You know, I, I, I put 100% of my effort into each one of those songs. Sometimes it's just an accident of history or, you know, the, you're singing about the right thing and the right frame of mind to catch the public's attention. Sometimes you don't. But I, I have a love and respect for all, all of the work. Uh, in terms of that issue of the public's attention, you know, clearly, I mean, that's a factor of anybody who gets up to be a performer, be an artist, uh, you know, the kind of recognition. At what point do you felt that you learned to kind of really trust your inner judgment rather than anything that was coming in from the outside? Um, I think being um, celebrated is, is um, sometimes um, a good position to be in because you're never in any doubt or illusion about how people think of you. You can be walking down the street and somebody will say, oh, I like your, I like your music or I really hate your music, or I thought you were taller, or I thought you were better looking, or, you know. So you, you have this sort of truth sort of thrown at you all the time. So um, I don't have any illusions about myself, which is good. Well, one of the, uh, I mean, in terms of those responses, uh, one of the reasons you get them is that you walk a lot since you live in New York City. And uh, I was, we were talking the other day about the fact that when you did your show up at the Apollo, uh, with an orchestra last year, you, know, you kind of rode your bike up to the show, and it seems like there's such a difference between kind of you know riding a bicycle on the streets of New York City and then getting up on stage with a with a symphony orchestra all within you know a period of probably an hour or something. I don't wonder if you could talk about those experiences. I don't you know, think that you contrast. should give up. You shouldn't give up your citizens' rights just because you're famous, and your citizens' rights are that you can walk around the streets of New York City unmolested. Um, it's not an uncomfortable city to be famous in because New Yorkers have such a self-esteem that they see you. <laughs> all of you are all on your own TV show, basically. And I'm just a guest today on your TV show. So... Uh, 
this is true. This is true of, of cab drivers, of refuse collectors, of, of you know people who drive buses. Hey, Sting, how you doing? I like that. They're not. They're not shy, and uh, I, I, I find that very comfortable to, to live in. So thank you, New York. <laughs> yes. When you talk about, you know, you know, one of the elements of fame is kind of, uh, you know, never having to wonder too much about what people think of you. Uh, I mean, any issues ever arise with that? I mean, in terms of, you know, the portrayal of yourself. I mean, do you feel like you're walking alongside some kind of media representation all the time, or do you feel? I tend not to um, to object or try and uh, disagree with things that are said about me because I think the truth is somewhere in the middle of all of that uh, attention. I think some people say, well, I don't like you, or I like you, or you're a good person, or you're a bad person. Of course, the truth is in the middle, and my freedom is to be in the middle. I'm not a saint, but nor am I a particularly sinful man. So I, I live in the middle of this. I'm a human being. So I, I tend not to contradict what is said about me. I, I'm not going to sort of stand up and say, no, that's not right. I'm, I'm a terribly just, just person. Or, you know, one of the things that um, going out on tour is kind of physically demanding. You know, you talk about, you know, kind of trying to maintain some center, uh, you know, through all the kind of noise around you, pro and con. You know, does, you know, you, you practice yoga. I was wondering if, you know, that's an element of what kind of keeps you focused or, you know, if you have other things that you do to try to just, um, you know, kind of stay connected with what's inside yourself. I was lucky in that um, before I was uh, a singing famous person, I actually had a job. Um, <laughs> I was a, sc a school teacher, and um, and I had a pension, a pension plan, and uh, I <laughs> had a mortgage. And I paid my taxes, and I voted, and so I, I, I was a grown-up, and then I became a rock star. Yeah. A lot of teachers out there. Yes, indeed. Right. Well, listen, we're here to um, you know, talk about your solo career, talk about your tour, talk about all the things that are going on with you, but also here to talk about a new project that uh, you're about to announce. Well, today is my... Um, my rebirthday. It's my digital rebirthday. And we're putting out this appumentary, is that the right? I think that's the word. It seems to be the word on this sheet. Yeah. yeah. Um, which I'm very excited about. Um, it's been something we've been working on for a, over a year now with uh, Radical Media. Um, people who really are into technology say this is a, a wonderful piece of technology. Um, it's the first of its kind which is why it's free, because we have no idea what it's worth. Um, but uh, we're very pleased to be the first to, to do this format. I think it's a future model for the delivery system of, of music. I think, uh, for me, it reminds me of when I, when I was growing up listening to, to albums in the late 50s and early 60s. I would buy an album and I would pour over the liner notes. I used to buy very serious records. Liner notes were very important. So I knew how the music was made, what the artists who made the record were thinking about. There were pictures of them in the studio. I, I got a slice of their life. And then, you know, if you put music in this 
this uh, digital cloud, we're kind of disconnected from the reality of musicians and artists making music. I think this application and this iPad can bring that sense back. You can, you can have a, uh, a sense of where the music comes from, and it's connected to real people and real thought. It's not just abstract. So for me, it's, it's, a, way of, uh, it's a very modern way of going back to what I loved about music. We had, uh, we had some questions submitted by Sting's fans. And this one is from Scott Lapatine from Brooklyn. It says, can you discuss the process for choosing the set list on the Back to Bass tour? Um, it was really ab about um, looking at songs that I hadn't done for a while and uh, dusting them off and seeing what was there and see if, see if they worked. But the, form the format is uh, strange, it's two violins, two guitars, bass, and drums. Uh, not every song would, would work with that format, but I was surprised at how many songs actually did. And so I would say 70% of the set is stuff I haven't done in maybe 10, 15, sometimes 20 years. So it was exciting. Now we have a question from Janai Boonin from Philadelphia. What was it like collaborating and hearing all those artists sing your songs at the 60th birthday concert benefit celebration? Well, I mean, it was my birthday, so I invited all my friends and my colleagues in the music industry. Uh, the only stipulation was they had to sing one of my songs. <laughs> it's my birthday. Uh, what was very heartening was that all, when they did sing my songs, they made them their own. They became their song. When Bruce sang, I hung my head, it became Bruce's song. Gaga took over that song completely. Um, Stevie Wonder singing Fragile was, was a spiritual experience for me. Each of those musicians, because they're great artists, made the song their own, and that, that couldn't have pleased me more. And I think uh, Gabin Beth Rubin is here with us. My question is, if you could rewrite re or change any one of your own songs, what would it be? You know, I, I'm constantly um, changing the songs every night, incrementally. Maybe an audience wouldn't recognize that. But I'm always looking for a little uh, inflection of the melody, maybe something I can change in the bass line to change the harmony, uh, change tempo, change key, edit verses out, swap verses around, take bits from other songs and stick them in just for fun. So I don't, tr I don't treat the songs as being some sort of sacred relic that has to be preserved. They are living, organic things, and they, they need to be changed every day. So I look upon these songs the way a jazz singer would look at a standard. So you start with something you recognize, and then you, you change it slightly. It keeps me interested. It keeps the musicians challenged the whole time. So we're there changing the music incrementally every night. So by the end of a tour, the song might have made a, a large transformation, or not. But uh, this, this is what I do to amuse myself. Thank you. Good question. Yes, give it up, ladies and gentlemen. Sting. Wow. That just happened. That is real. We are all part of that. That was amazing. Thank you so much. And thank you guys. Thank you so much for having a great time tonight. We hope you really enjoyed yourselves. Don't forget that amazing app. Available now, Sting25. You can go on the App Store and download it right now if you wanted to. Get home safe tonight, and we can't wait to see you next time. Take care now. Have a good night.